I want to begin by reminding you of something that I have to frequently remind myself of. We are, as humankind, prone to like rules, regulations, and laws. And in fact, we are also prone to like systems. We're prone to want to try and codify those things which we believe in our hearts. And while that's not inherently evil, it can often be misleading. And so for those of you that are new to Calvary Chapel, I want to remind you that we believe that the entirety of the word of God uh, is given for our instruction. It is given for correction, reproof, and specifically instruction in righteousness so that the man of God, the, the woman of God, the children of God might be equipped for every good work that the Lord has for us. And so we teach the Bible cover to cover from Genesis to Revelation. And in that sense, we consider ourselves to be biblicist. And when I say that, because there are some doctrinal alignments that people begin to try and identify with. On one side, you have the Arminian doctrine, which would kind of leave you losing your salvation every other minute, and the Calvinist doctrine, which says you're so secure you can almost get to the place of sinning with impunity. We are neither Arminian nor are we Calvinists here as Calvary Chapel. We just simply believe that the Bible says what it means, means what it says, and we teach the whole thing from cover to cover. The reason I'm saying that is the passage that's before us presents to us a doctrinal position that we are adopted as God's kids, that we're actually literally brought into the family of God. You you see, a legalist would have a tough time with that because if you're adopted, there's nothing you can do to earn adoption. There's nothing you can do to keep adopted. You're simply brought into the family. And so Paul remembers addressing this issue that we have a propensity towards rules, regulations, and trying to identify everything that's necessary for us to have a right relationship. And we're now going to find out that God actually wants us to be able to call him daddy. That it's not about rules, it's not about regulations, it's about relationship. And so we're going to pick up here in chapter 4 with the first seven verses and a message I've entitled, Our New Family. Would you join with me and we'll pray and ask God to speak uh, through his word. Father, we thank you for your beautiful word, your majestic word, your word which is true. Lord, we ask that you would just make it alive to us and speak to us. Lord, we're so grateful that you have brought us into your family. Lord, you did so through redemption. You paid the price of our lives uh, that were lived without you with the shed blood of your only son, Jesus. And so, God, we pray that you would now speak to us as your church and encourage us in our new family. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Galatians 4. And now I say that the heir, and remember, we're, we're looking backwards a little bit to Paul's continuing uh, this, this, in essence, attempt to move us away from the necessity 
of wanting to follow just simply rules and regulations and laws. And so the legalist clings to those things and said, as long as I do this, then I get that. As long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, then I have what I believe I'm going to get. And Paul is going to shift our view of the Lord just a little bit here. And while it does not leave the moral requirements of the law uh, as now immoral or doesn't take them away, it does put how we relate to them in some very new light. It causes us to understand how God wants us to think of him. For as long as he is a child, this is not different at all from a slave. And though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time is appointed of the father, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. There is a reason for our redemption. It is not that God wants to leave us under the weight of the law. It's not that we are saved by keeping the law. It's not that we're better Christians if we're law keepers. We have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. The price was paid. That's the what the word redemption means. The price was paid for me so that I could be brought into God's family, not put under the weight of the law. God didn't save me to continue to make me a slave to the law. Remember what the tutor is, the guardian is. It was way more than just someone who instructed you. It was someone who punished you. It's someone who took you from place to place. It is someone who, in essence, lived your life for you and you kind of went along for the ride. And so Paul is now reminding us of who we now are because we are God's kids. When I think of the fact that I am God's son, literally one of God's children. It gives me a whole new wonder for my relationship with him. Because you are sons, verse 6, and God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, and here it is. You can find the same truth in Romans 8. Abba, Father. That word Abba is an Aramaic word, an old, very ancient Hebrew word, if you want to look at it that way. But it was a Paleo-Hebrew. It is a word that means daddy. And it's connected with father so that we understand who it is. This is still father. But this is a new way that we get to relate to him now by grace and through faith. You, You see, how many teachers do we have in the room today? If we have a few, okay, if you're a teacher, what happens if you take away the rules in your classroom? You have utter chaos, right? And so when you have a relationship strictly as the father or as the teacher, as the guardian, it's principally about rules and regulations and direction. You have to have some of those things in order that there is not chaos. 
But most of you can't walk into your classroom and say, hey, could all of you actually now call me daddy? Because daddy implies something very different. You see, in the middle of the night, when your children have a nightmare, they do not want you to come into their room and lecture them about the fact that they are believing something that's not actually true. Amen? They want you to hold them and comfort them and care for them tenderly. They want the relationship as daddy, not simply someone who knows the truth. The father, in this sense, as we used to only know God, we knew him as our heavenly father, the majestic one, the one who was perfect in all of his ways. Those things are still true. And so the Jewish people, by the law, had a relationship with God that put him as the disciplinarian, the father who would walk into the room and go, you need to grow up. That wasn't real. It was just a dream. You need to fix the way you think about this, son. No, because of grace, through faith, you can now call out, Daddy, help. Daddy, I I skinned my knee. You you see, when you skin your knee, you don't want to lecture about the dumb thing you did on the skateboard. You just want a Band-Aid, amen? And someone to kiss the boo-boo. You see, you already knew when you fell over, when you crashed. It was like, I was going too fast. Dad warned me about that. I knew what the law was. You need daddy. And because I've been adopted into the family, I am no longer under that elemental structure of the law to where the only thing I know about God the Father is he's way above me. He's no longer just my disciplinarian. He's my papa. He's my daddy. And he loves me. There's a shift here away from the law and towards the relationship that we have as his adopted sons. Now I want you to see what follows next because it is so important for us to understand who we are in Christ. Do not mistake what I'm saying. God is still holy. God is still just. He's perfect in all of his ways. But how we relate to him now has been forever altered because of the blood of the Lamb. I now have a relationship by grace and through faith with the creator of the universe, not because of the good things that I have done, but because he is good. And he loves me. And he wants to have a relationship with me whereby I can cry out, Dad, Father, Papa. And therefore, you're no longer a slave. And we'll get to this at the end of the message. You see, when you were under the law, you were slave to the law. When you tried to keep the law, the law was your guardian. When you were under the weight of legalism, the moment you didn't meet the legalism, you were also under the judgment and the justice of the law. And so the law put us into slavery and kept us in a very elemental relationship with God the Father. You see, under the law, I could only know really the righteousness of God. I could only know by the law that God had certain standards that applied to my life, and here's what I knew about them I messed up. 
And so I constantly worried about the day when God was going to call me into account for my misdeeds. Some of you probably learned to relate to God that way early on in your Christian experience. It's like, all I knew was I was in trouble. I remember sitting in church thinking, man, I'm dead. That's like, oh, I'm going to hell for sure. Now, there's a place for that because it drove me to the grace of God. It caused me to understand I can't save myself. That's That's the work that the law can do. But now God wants to move us past those elemental things. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, check this one out, an heir of God through Christ. Amen? That puts us into a whole new family, doesn't it? You see, because I was a slave to the law, The law could never save me. I wasn't saved because of law or law keeping. I was simply made aware of my own sinfulness. And when I recognized my own sinfulness, it it made me realize I didn't have a relationship with this kind of a holy God. You see, if all I ever know is the righteousness of God, the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God, what happens to me is I don't cry out, Abba, Father, I cry out, oh, no, What do I do now? You see, one of the tragedies of the law and the tragedy of legalism, if you want to look at it that that way, is it keeps you really in a second childhood. It it leaves you in a stunted state of spiritual growth. You're just like the student in the classroom who has not yet learned to behave. The teacher and the laws, the classroom rules keep you somewhat hemmed in. But they're inside of you. You're still wanting to shoot the spit wads at the blackboard. Some of us are old enough to remember when it was not dry wipe. It wasn't a PowerPoint slide on the wall. It was the blackboard, right? You know, and you got, if you were really good, you got to erase it. Remember that after class? I'm a student helper, yes. But there were rules in the classroom, and the rules in the classroom were intended to keep order. They did not cause you to love the teacher, amen? You still wanted to fly the paper airplane into the very large hair that your teacher had back in my day. One of the requirements of teaching the third, fourth, and fifth grade during my time in those grades was your your hair had to be at least a foot taller than your head. So every male child wanted to fold up a paper airplane and see if they could stick it in the teacher's hair while her hair was towards us and her face was towards the blackboard. It was like, see if you can stick one in there. You see, I knew what was wrong. And I knew that if I broke that rule, I was going to go to the principal's office. And oh, by the way, we didn't believe in saying time out. We believed that you were going to get a swat. You see, the law brought with it punishment. The law still brings punishment. But praise God, we've been freed from the elemental things of the law. Amen? So Paul is now going to explain this adoption that's happened to us. This this experience, and it's explained for us in Ephesians chapter 1. You can read that later. 
And if you want to understand your relationship with God, just read John chapter three and ask yourself a simple question. What is Jesus trying to tell Nicodemus? Go back under the law or is it enough that you believe in the only begotten son of God? Does he want a relationship or is he trying to impress again the law on someone who knew the law? Nicodemus also being a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, would have certainly known what the law was And he's saying, look, you've had the law for 1,500 years. And the law has just left you stuck in the elemental things. I want to change the way you relate to me, God is basically saying to us. You see, the only way that you get into this family is through regeneration. It's not through law keeping. You need a new heart. You have to have a heart transplant essentially that's why jesus said you must be born again amen he didn't say you kind of sort of should he said you have to there's got to be some new spiritual dna implanted into you by the holy spirit you have to be made anew born a second time and that second time is what is in view now Because I have been brought into God's family in actuality by grace and through faith, not my own works. I'm actually a member of the heavenly family now. I have a new family. And it's not like my old family. It's a heavenly family. And so as I enter in, because I've been paid for my my life, when, when Jesus cries out to tell us die from the cross, he's saying it's finished, it's done, the price is paid. What, what needs to happen for Jeff is, has been done. You know what's interesting to me is what Jesus doesn't cry out from the cross. Jesus is hanging between two thieves and yet we find no lecture on the disobedience of the thief who didn't believe. We also don't find Jesus crying out from the cross as everyone went by on the road that would lead likely to Damascus, leaving the north north of the city of Jerusalem. Jesus wasn't up there. Everybody that went by, I know what you did today. I saw where you were last week. He didn't point out everyone's faults, their weaknesses, their sins. He didn't remind them of the justice and holiness of God. He cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Not, wow, they're really a mess. He he didn't sit there and, and even remind them of the Ten Commandments. He could have done that. He he could have said to those, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, Jesus, in his discourses throughout the New Testament, did actually repeat all of the Ten Commandments except the Sabbath. Because that was for the Jewish people. It was between them and them alone. Read the book of Exodus, you'll find it for yourself. So Jesus did believe in the Ten Commandments in that sense. But he cries out from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, namasabachtene. My God, my God, Why? Have you forsaken me? Because I had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And Jesus was paying the price for my sin. And when that price was paid, he said, it's finished. Jeff can come home now. Jeff can believe and receive and be saved. Jeff can experience the grace of God by the forgiveness of his sins. His debt is erased. You see, we enter by regeneration, but we enjoy because we're in a new family. Amen? Now, this is actually very easy to see. There are three critical facts that you can see here in this passage. Before you were a child of God, you were under the bondage of the law. Because God is holy. He is just. He's absolutely majestic in all of his ways. We had no way to meet those requirements. It was an impossibility, in fact. And so if our family is not changed, then we remain in the old family For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us is born into the human family. And thereby every one of us is born a sinner. The question is, are you going to be, as Jesus said in John chapter 3, born again? And that new birth also is the vehicle whereby you're adopted into the new family. But we understand adoption almost in a second class way. But that's not what's taught in Scripture. In Scripture, when you're adopted into a family during Roman times, you had exactly the same responsibilities, the exact same rights as an actual child. And so what's happened here is by that second birth, I have literally been brought into God's family. The Holy Spirit is now indwelling me, and I have the inheritance coming to me that is that of Christ's. Now you may be sitting there and say, that's crazy. It is crazy. Crazy good, amen? One day when you take your last breath here and you wake up in heaven, I don't know how that exactly happens. I like to look at it that way. It's like I take my last one here, close my eyes, and oh, hello, Jesus. (laughs) I'm going to my actual home. Now see, Connie and I have a trust, and that trust holds in it every single thing that we have our name on. So cars, our house, that type of thing, it's all listed in there. You know what's interesting? My sons have done nothing to earn all of those things. But one day, they are going to, as our adult children, receive everything that is ours. 100%. In a similar but spiritual way, because of what happened to you being adopted into God's family in exactly the same way, you are one day going to inherit all that is Christ. Did you know that? That's your new family. And your new family has bank, okay? The whole universe belongs to your new papa. 
And so Paul says, look, this position that we now, I'm made an adult son because Christ's righteousness has been placed in my account. The price was paid for my sin. My sins are forgiven. But I'm now enjoying this new life because I am now literally one of God's kids. I no longer serve the harsh master, the law. I serve Abba, Father. And I serve him with love, with care, concern. I'm no longer underneath the old ABCs of the law. You see, the ABCs of the law couldn't save me. They didn't save anyone. They made me aware of the fact that I was a sinner. It's only God's grace. It's only his love. It's the fact that God so loved the world that he sent Christ into this world that the world through him would be saved. Think about it. He didn't send Jesus into the world to simply make us aware of sin. The law had already done that. Jesus could have never come and mankind would have known perfectly that God was holy and just. Did you know that? The law did that. The law by itself let us know exactly what God's standard was. It's perfection. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You're not going to covet your neighbor's goods, your neighbor's wife, or anything at your neighbor's. You're not going to murder your neighbor. We would completely understand God's requirements by just simply understanding the law. But we couldn't change relationship. All we could do is go, man, I'm in trouble. You see, that's elemental. And so in that sense, to go back to the law is saying, I'd like to go back to the elemental things. For those of you that might be bent towards legalism, legalism is elemental. It is grace that is abounding. Anyone can be a legalist. You just establish a bunch of rules. And then you see if you can keep them. It is grace that sets you free because you will not want to do the things that God doesn't want you to do and you will want to do the things that he does want you to do. That was Paul's expression in Romans 7. That's why he was troubled. I know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't do it. And I know what I'm not supposed to do. And eh, do that. Who will deliver me? Christ. Amen? A new relationship by grace and through faith. You see, it's childish to think you have everything under control. That's why it drives me crazy when we get hung up in the elemental things of, well, so-and-so said it's this way, and -and so-and-so said it is that way. Look, Jacob Arminius, in his five points, was wrong. John Calvin and his five points, also wrong. They were wrong differently because neither is perfect. They're just simply ways for us to try and understand how we would relate to God. I want to relate to God the way the Bible says to relate to God. I believe you can resist God's grace. John Calvin didn't. I don't believe that you lose your, sin, your salvation every time you sin. Jacob Arminius believed that. So both, in a sense, have some things, and eh, I kind of need to rethink that. But you know what? I'm not going to heaven because of Jacob Arminius or John Calvin. I'm going to heaven because I have believed on the only begotten Son of God. That's why I'm going to heaven. 
So be careful because you can start to have a new kind of legalism. Well, I follow this line of doctrine or I follow that line of doctrine. Let me just give you a clue. Just believe what the Bible says. And then do your best to do what it says. God's solution. What was God's solution? It wasn't more rules. It was not religion. You know, there's no codified way in the Bible for you to relate to God. Did you know that? Jesus simply said, it is enough that you believe. Now, I'm not saying that in that belief, there aren't a whole bunch of other things that go along and happen to you by believing. You're you're going to want to be like the Lord. You're going to want to be sanctified. You're going to get a new heart. You're going to get a new mind. Your mind is going to be renewed. You're going to be transformed. You're going to be taken from death to life. It's all kinds of things that happen. But if you're looking to me to explain every single thing that's going to happen to you before you get to heaven, you got the wrong guy. I get the information the same place you get it, from God's word. So we just read God's word and we go, Lord, what do you want us to know? Well, what he wants us to know is the only solution to the law is grace. That's it. So he redeemed me when the fullness of time came, when Jesus stepped onto the scene, exactly as predicted by Daniel the prophet, by the way. Jesus uses the exact same name that Daniel gave him, the son of man. That's what he says to the Jewish religious leadership. He said, the son of man, they're going, wait a second, are you saying you're Messiah? Yeah, Jesus was. He said, no, by the way, Messiah's gonna die for you. Well, we don't want that kind of Messiah. We want a Messiah that's gonna take care of Rome. We want a Messiah that's gonna take some names, do some business right here. It's like, we gotta take care of this Roman issue. They're disrespecting the law. And Jesus said, no, now wait a second. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. You know why that's necessary? Because I can't. And I won't. I'm going to mess up. But Jesus could, and Jesus did. And by believing on his name, I am saved. By him writing my name in the Lamb's book of life. By my name not being blotted out of the book of life. I have a new family. Because Jesus says so. And and so in that sense, I'm simply one of the redeemed ones who are now one of God's kids. Now what is it that we actually are in the sense that we're adopted as sons, daughters, daughters? Remember, this is written in a Jewish context, so sons are mentioned, but it's the same for you ladies, daughters of God. But you're full sons, you're full daughters, you are joint heirs with Christ. You see, there's some very different things that happen when you're an actual son. And because scripture says that is your destiny because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all involved in this process in your relationship with God. You become a joint heir with Christ. 
What does that look like to us? You see, under the law, you were a servant. Under the law, you were a slave. Under the law, you had requirements you needed to keep that you didn't. And I want to point you towards the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember what the prodigal son actually asked the father? Let me be your servant. What did the father say? No chance you're my son. And in the same way, when you become a child of God, you are not a servant to the law. You are a son. You're a daughter. You've been brought right into the family with all of the glories that that contains. And it's seen in a number of contests, or a number of contrasts, excuse me, that I think we can identify. Look, the son has the same nature as the father. A servant does not. No matter what you do for someone who works for you, is indebted to you, they will never have your nature. But the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that you literally are partakers of the divine nature. That God, by the work of the Holy Spirit, actually gives you a new nature. Servant doesn't get that. A second thing that happens to you A son has a father. A servant just simply has a master. You see, under the law, you just had a master. But as one of God's kids, child of God, you have Abba, Father. You have Daddy. You see, Father God was still Father, and you related to him as such, the one who sets the house rules, under the law, that happened. But now that you're adopted, you get to snuggle up in daddy's lap. When you're having a nightmare, you can call out, and it's not going to be dad coming in to tell you to grow up. It's going to be, I know that scares you, son. Come on over here, we'll get through this together. You see, our relationship calling dad Abba, Papa, Father, that way, is very different than just recognizing that he earns the money and he sets the house rules and if you mess up, he's going to come home. You see, I grew up in the 50s and 60s. You know, the era of father knows best. And that was pretty much how our house went. Father knows best, and if you didn't do what father said then father was also the disciplinarian. And you usually heard this, wait until your father gets home. (laughs) Right? Some of you know what I'm saying. And so you sat in the garage waiting for the day of death. (laughs) She's going to be here any minute. You know, you start looking at your watch. It's 4.32. I have a half hour left before I'm dead. That's kind of how we relate to God the Father because we know he's holy, we know he's just, we know he's going to come. But daddy's the one that would go out in the morning to the Helms bakery truck. Some of you remember that? 
Some of us have been around a while. You see, the Helms Bakery truck, for those of you who have never experienced this, would come through your neighborhood, and it was like a rolling Krispy Kreme. Pulled right up in front of your house, and they had these drawers that came out, and there it was in all of the glory and splendor. Every donut known to man and bear claws. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. You see, Daddy would take you out and buy you donuts. Father would take you to the garage and teach you what the belt looked like. You see, there's a little bit of difference in how you're related to those two names. Daddy went for walks. Daddy taught you to fish. Father reminded you who he was and that you lived under his rules. You now get to call Father God, Abba. Dad. Papa. It's a term of endearment, isn't it? It's not just a recognition of who he is. It's who he wants to be to you. He wants to be tender. He wants to be kind. He wants to draw you close. He wants you in his lap. He wants you snuggled up. And while that is not all he is, is in a relational way, it is what he wants. Let me prove it to you. How does the book of Genesis open up with humankind? And God walked with them in the cool of the day. God wasn't wandering around with a very long list of rules and regulations there was exactly one tree they couldn't eat of, amen? That's not a whole lot of rules for all of creation. It's like, you know, that tree, don't do that. The rest of the time, God spent walking with them. That's why God said, Adam, where are you? He missed the relationship with Adam. He said, what's happened? We used to be like this. You can almost see God walking in the garden going, Adam, where are you? We used to be like this. What's happened? You see, Adam is the one that chose to relate to God by the law because he broke the law. And we're going to learn that very shortly here in the book of Galatians. A loss for the lawless. But God wants us like this. He wants to be close to you. He wants to have that kind of relationship with you. He doesn't just want to be your master. You see, the son obeys out of love, right? Most sons don't wander around, well, you know, I can do this, 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 and this, but if I do that, I'll get killed. That's not how we relate to our papas. We believe that God actually knows what's best for us and that's the reason he tells us those things. My dad told me to watch out for my Uncle Gary. My Uncle Gary was a little touched. And I'll never forget when Uncle Gary decided that tumbleweeds would keep you from crashing to the ground if you jumped out of a hay barn into a pile of tumbleweeds. My dad told me, don't listen to Uncle Gary for a reason, because Uncle Gary's got two broken legs. You, you, you see, 
God is even being kind by acknowledging the fact that there are problems in this world, but it's because he wants to relate to us by love that he tells us those things. A servant just obeys out of fear. It's like, I'm going to get in trouble. The son is rich. See, my sons own everything we own. Whatever Connie and I have, it's actually theirs already. We already have a, the paper signed. It's theirs. It's still in our control, but it actually belongs to them. Why? Because everything we have is theirs. And in the same way, all that is Christ's belongs to those who are in the family of God. Did you know that? You see, the servant remains poor, but the son is rich. Amen? One day you're going to inherit the king's kingdom. The whole thing. Servants don't get that. Whatever they have in their hands, that's what they have. And I love this. The son has a future. A servant doesn't. You see, I know that when I wake up in heaven, my future will be brighter than it's ever been. I'm not thinking, oh, you know. That's why I don't fear death. It's like, wow, that'll be terrible. And that's not morbid. I'm just simply saying, look, if I truly believe what God's word says about what's coming, then what lies ahead is infinitely better than what I have now. As wonderful as life can be on this earth, imagine what it is in heaven. That's because I'm one of God's sons. And you who believe are God's sons and daughters. And that same heaven is yours too. Everything that is the Father belongs to the Son, and everything that is the Son's belongs to these kids. Doesn't mean you become God, but it does mean that you inherit everything. All the goodness, all the wonder, all the glories of heaven come your way. And leaves us with a radical realization. We'll end with this. When God says that we can call him daddy. He's actually making a differentiation. Between what we used to be able to call him. Call him under the law. Under the law. I could just simply acknowledge that he was right. Yes father. Yes father. Yes father. Some of you have probably seen that relationship before. Okay, I get it. I'll do that. Yeah, I I should have done better. You bring home that report card. What's this? We are an A household. This is a B. Daddy doesn't do that. And he goes, that's awesome, son. So proud of you. You see, the Lord tells us that we are his kids in a very, very close, loving, and caring way. That's why he says you're no longer a slave. You're not under that law. 
but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You have a whole new family as a child of God. It's an incomprehensible truth that simply by giving ourselves to Christ Jesus as Lord, God gives us everything else as a possession of the family. That's an amazing truth. And I pray that you walk in that new relationship, in that new family, that you're not tempted to go back to the old relationship, which was just the rules, but you walk with Abba Father. Amen? Would you stand? We'll close in prayer. If you're here today and you've never invited the king of the universe to actually be Abba Father to you, you've never invited Christ into your life, I want to direct you over to our prayer room after service and just simply say, you know, I'd like to know Jesus. I, I want to know God that way. It's simple, intentionally simple. If you believe on his name, you will be saved. Jesus said that, by the way. That's not what I say. It's what Jesus said. Invite him in and then enjoy the benefits of being able to call the king of the universe your papa. Amen? Father, thank you for that incredible relationship Lord, we recognize you're still holy and still just. You're mighty. You're powerful. Lord, you relate to us as dad. You're not looking to press us under the law. You're looking to set, set us free by grace through faith. And we thank you, Lord, that while the moral requirements have never changed, the way that we relate to you has. And so we receive that Adoption as sons, daughters, by grace and through faith. And we rejoice in it, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for bringing us into your family. And thank you, Lord, for the new family that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.